All right, all right, all right. <clears throat> Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Do it, Doug. What's up, home skillet, gangster, dude, cheese bucket? Dude, cheese bucket. That's right. That's my new host name. <laughs> Doing all right, my man. How are you? Oh, man. Yeah, doing great. Loving it. That's good stuff. It's good stuff. So this is episode 49 of the Actual Anarchy podcast. can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 49. Keep you in suspense on that one, my man. You're my co-host, Robert, and we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight we're going to talk about the Robert Reich film, Inequality for All. And this is in lieu of saving capitalism, which we had intended to do, but is not yet available. Is that correct? Are you asking me or are you asking the audience? Because the audience can't hear you. Well, they will hear us eventually, I think. But I'm asking you because I think... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you had talked about, or you had mentioned in the chat about doing some kind of a capitalism thing that wasn't out. But it's, this is about the same human being, I guess. And yeah, it's not out till November... 21st or something towards the end of the month uh, on Netflix. Not that I recommend anybody go see it, but that's when it's coming out. Yeah, if this movie was any indication, there's really, I mean, I can't imagine what else he could uh, <laughs> come up with. <laughs> Maybe some more graphs to get overlay across each other and then assume causation, uh, if that's any indication of how this episode's going to go. Now, I also want to mention we're going to have a guest joining us in a few moments, and they are a YouTuber who reached out to us via the Twitter. So we got all the social media action going, and their channel is called Esoteric Entity, and it's a uh, anarcho-capitalist kind of dissection of SJWism and, and other whatnot uh, chicanery. So they'll be joining us in a moment, and we'll ask them all about what uh, what they do there officially. Uh, pretty excited about having this conversation. They've got a, a pretty good following, and anytime we can ride the coattails of someone else who's doing something successful, why not, right? That's what uh, specialization and the division of labor is all about, right, Robert? Uh, yeah, yeah. You you exploit other people's hard labor as the capitalists that we are. That's what we do. Well, by exploit, we mean like utilize I mean, exploit. best best they potential. They are my slaves. <laughs> I steal them. They're hard labor. And I sit back on my fat capitalist ass. What are you talking about? Yeah, so how's how is that fat capitalist ass doing? Is it freezing over there still? No, it's balls cold. I uh, pulled out the um the old snowblower yesterday. And by snowblower, I mean it's a snow thrower because it's an attachment for the uh the power mower. And by power mower, I mean the brush mower. It was a beast. It uh chucked a ton of snow cleaned up my drive, which was good, but it also caught a whole ton of rocks and chucked a whole bunch of rocks, and uh, yeah, I might need to lower the skids a bit. We'll see. But yeah, it's good. It's freezing cold over here, man. You still got snow over the air? Oh, it's all gone by now. It's um, It's been cold, but I think we're just not ready for it yet. Like, our bodies haven't acclimated to that type of temperature. 
Yeah. Because it seems as if just two or three weeks ago, I mean, it was like hot and sunny, you know? Uh, not where I'm at, buddy. It's been chilly for a while, but yeah, winter came on quickly. It's true. I mean, it was in the 50s most of the time, then all of a sudden it dips down into the teens. So it was a sudden change. But I don't know about any sunniness that you're talking about. Of course, it gets yeah, and, and by teens, by teens, by teens, you're not making any allusions to Kevin Spacey, right? We're not, we're not picking on him right now, because he gets a free, um, a free pass because he's he's going to live as a gay man now. He's a protected class. You can't talk shit about him. I think that's what we got to do. Whenever we upset somebody, we just got to say that we're, you know, whatever. We we identify as some protected class or three. Well, we know, are and maybe, a minority. But we could throw. Guy. We are throw the hash. <laughs> throw like a hashtag out there, like a Me Too. For what? For being an oppressed class. Is that like the... Okay. I mean, uh, I'll trust your better judgment. I don't know what you're talking about, but... No, you don't know about the Me Too thing? Ah, uh, vaguely. That was like, hey, you've been sexually assaulted or something, and then everybody said, yeah, Me Too. I don't right. know what news, but people have been coming out of the woodwork to accuse people of sexual assault or sexual harassment. It's, it's the only thing anybody's talking about, it seems like. So either there's been a rash of it, or people are emboldened by everybody else, or people are just jumping on the bandwagon. I don't know what's going on. I mean, obviously, sexual assault and sexual harassment are, you know, unwanted activities, but... Yeah, not good, not good. Hey, I think our guest has joined us, and uh, yep, this would right be... Here. Yeah, so is it Esoteric Entity? Is that how you... Yes. Okay, excellent. That's how you pronounce that. And what is, what is your primary uh, mode of communication with people? Is it, is it the YouTube channel, and, and what kind of thing do you do over there? Uh, what, what do you mean by communication? You mean like your social media? I just consider that making videos and getting the message out. Uh, I like to talk to people a lot through Twitter, though. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I guess what I mean is like what's your... Yeah, what is your your shtick, you know, like what's, what's your thing? You make the videos and then you also engage with people on Twitter. Is it, is it mostly? Oh, sorry. I was just wondering, are you like debating people on Twitter or are you kind of gathering stuff that you then make videos out of? Like, how does it all work? Uh, I do sort of group. I do sort of a lot of stuff on Twitter. I do group conversations in the DMS. I, you know, speak my mind on things that, um, it's, I don't have an entire video to talk about per se, but I still want to talk about it. Um, sometimes I do little debate comments, uh, but really what I want to get down to is I also am on Minds. I'm also, I used to be on Facebook, but uh, people began to find like my actual uh, private account, so I just shut everything down because that, yeah, that's not happening. Right, yeah, it seems like whenever somebody pokes their head out a little bit too far off of what Tom Woods calls the three by five card of allowable opinion, then the SGWs kind of come after you. They try to dox, or if you are, you know, gainfully employed with a respectable employer, they try to get you fired and all that other nonsense, which is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, I like my job, so. Yeah, well, very good. Well, uh, my name's Daniel, by the way, and Robert is my co-host. He's on here as well, and we've already sort of started recording. Uh, we, we typically do a little bit of pre-show banter uh, for our Patreon supporters, and this is our episode 49. So when this is possted this upcoming Sunday, it'll be at actualanarchy.com slash 49. And also, right. if you 
if you want to have like the audio or the video, um, I can uh, share that over to you as well if you want to use it. I was just about to ask about that because, yeah, I was wondering if I could upload this onto my YouTube page. Yeah, for sure. And are you good with having um, having a, a webcam presence or are you are you kind of in the shadows a little bit? I'm sort of uh, in between. I, when I'm um, when I'm just talking, it's not that I don't want to show my face. It's more that it just helps me concentrate to know that no one is actually seeing me. So, all right. Well, then I will do the same and save the bandwidth. We've been having a little bit of struggles lately with uh, having too much stuff going on in my internet, and so we had kind of a rough recording session with The Shining, though I think the episode still turned out. Uh, you, you guys watched The Shining? Uh, that's cool. we got to watch this Robert Reich movie. Yeah, this, this movie was, uh, well, we usually save our ratings for the end, but <laughs> uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear, I think, that, that this is not going to be a good movie. Uh, uh, well, you could save your ratings for the end, but I'm just going off what we know now. Uh, it's you know, it's starring Robert Reich, and uh, just to give a little information about him, he uh, was the Minister of Labor, I think, underneath Bill Clinton, and uh, one of his students, uh, Yanis Varoufakis, I believe I'm pronouncing his name right, went on to be the Greek Minister of Finance, and uh, look how how that turned out over there in their economy. Oh, okay. So we see the one who was kind of responsible for the yep. uh, the implosion they had? Yeah, it happened under him, and it started when he took office. So. All right. Well, very good. Well, hey, um, Robert, are you, you still with us? I'm here. All right, very good. So uh, where, Esoteric Entity, where can people find your YouTube? And then we'll, of course, post a link to to that and also your Twitter on the show notes page when it's uh, when it's done. But go ahead and give your 30-second um, elevator pitch for the audience here. Um, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, uh, anarcho-individualist, so mainly I, I'm not a hoppian. I'm just a voluntarist. I support free association in all forms. Um, occasionally, I'll make videos on social issues, but uh, most of my videos are debunking economic fallacies and uh, bashing commies because I don't think they get bashed enough. <laughs> yeah, they, they seem to be the cool kids these days. And uh, how do people find you on YouTube? Is it like YouTube slash Esoteric Entity? Um, yeah, just type in uh, Esoteric Entity in the search on YouTube, and my sh my page will pop up. I've got a decent amount of subs and views, so it's one of the top search results. Okay, cool, and I'll just pull that up right now so that our Patreon supporters and anyone viewing the video will be able to see that. And then it's uh, it's got the, the cat logo, right? Yep, not a furry. <laughs> all right, so today we're going to talk about that Robert Reich movie, Inequality for All, and Robert and I were just chatting ahead of time, and we mentioned to the audience that we are uh, originally going to do the new movie that he's created, the um, Saving Capitalism. That's a Netflix special, but it's not yet available for viewing. I think it's not out until November 21st. Yeah, so, I heard about that. Yeah, I can't imagine that it's it's going to be that much different than than this one, the Inequality for All. Uh, not exactly the 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 best movie, but I I do like that um, it's easy to pick apart. So we can go ahead and dive into that if you guys are ready. Uh, we usually start out with a Google description and then kind of take it apart scene by scene. I mean, this really isn't like a typical movie. It's more of um, a documentary, pseudo-documentary propaganda. propaganda piece. 
<laughs> I would just say before we get started into this movie, the Saving Capitalism movie, if it's anything like this one, his solution to save capitalism is probably some magical regulation that he imagined. He's a Marxist, so he thinks that capitalism will inevitably fail, so not going to be a good solution. It's an inherently contradictory one to his belief system, so the premise fails. Right, yeah. He, he mentioned in the movie that the market is determined by we, the people, as the government. <laughs> so we, we create <laughs> the rules. Yeah, yeah, he said that. He said that <laughs> we create the rules for the, for the market, and because of Citizens United, now corporations have too much political power, too much political influence with their money. And so his solution at the end, you know, spoilers, everyone, is to overturn Citizens United uh, and and get more involved in our democracy. He he mentions democracy probably almost as often as he mentions inequality in the movie. Man, I, I got to tell you, uh, I watched about 25 minutes into it and before I knew that uh, every single argument he was going to make is like cookie cutter garbage. Like I knew that I could think of a response to it off the top of my head. That's how bad it is from what I've seen so far. Yeah. It's, it's, it's he, at one point, I think at about 24 minutes in, he, he states that government regulations are necessary to make a free market. And like Dan was saying, that's how you, he said the words yeah, free market regulations is what you do to make a free market. <laughs> just dumb yeah, as, as a matter of fact, it. that's exactly where I stopped watching the video. Yeah, don't blame you. It's pretty bad, but we suffered through Daniel and I suffered through the whole thing, so we'll we'll talk about it. Oh, yeah, it, it felt much longer than the um, 90 or so minutes that, that I think it was, but I'm going to go ahead and read the Google description real quick and then we can start eviscerating this thing. So this is Inequality for All. It's a 2013 documentary. Google has it listed as an hour and 50 minutes. I think it was more like an hour and a half. Uh, 8.1 on the IMDb, 90% Rotten Tomatoes, and 68% on Metacritic. 94% of Google users like it. I also checked out the Amazon reviews, and there's over 1,000 reviews. They're all glowing. They're all like, oh, this is truth revealed, truth to power, blah, blah, blah. This is so amazing. <laughs> I'm going to share this with all my friends and get them on board with changing things. But right. uh, here's, here's what the Google description says. In his wealth and poverty class at UC Berkeley, former Labor exactly. Secretary Robert Reich discusses the grave economic and social consequences that may result if the gulf between the rich and poor continues to widen. And I just, and, um, but he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't he does explain not. that, um, at least from what I saw at all. But the thing is, and that's something that you'll notice um, right off the bat with a lot of his arguments, uh, spoiler, not spoiler, is one of his favorite tactics when uh, arguing is he likes to start with a conclusion and then work backwards with a premise that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, that was a key thing I noticed with him is that during his presentation, he would often overlay two different charts and go, look, they're suspiciously the same, very similar. They must be causal. And then he works backwards and tries to, de to, to derive a theory uh, based on those inputs, but he's already biased the conclusion. And right, he, he leaves a lot out there that, that doesn't add up. Yeah, well, the problem in that situation is more that there are so many hidden variables that it's impossible to say that it's just one thing that caused it. I'll, I'll go more into detail about that when we actually get to a point in the video where he does that. 
Yeah, yeah, for me, this movie, before we get into it, I just want to say, for me, this movie fails because he claims to say that inequality, I mean, he, he spends almost the entire time talking about showing inequality. He's like, look, here's some inequality. Look, here's some more inequality. Look, here's some more inequality. But he never says, and therefore, this is the consequences and this is the end. I mean, at one point, he makes the claim that with, with so much inequality that the middle class is going to die off, and then the economy can't function without a strong middle class, but he never provides any kind of evidence or data or anything like that to back up that claim. And that's the big claim to me, because he's pointing out all this inequality, and I just kept going, well, who cares? So what? So what? You've never at one point made your claim or made your point or made your case that all this inequality is bad. Yeah, which he said that that was what he was going to do. At the very beginning, he said, I'm going to ask three questions and provide some answers, and I thought that was going to break up the, the film into like three three parts or three scenes, uh, yeah. but he sort of just ignored that <laughs> for, for the rest of it, you know? Well, that's, and, the biggest, that's the biggest problem with the entire premise here. Income inequality is a bad thing for the economy. That's the premise. Well, it's simply not. The, the cause for income inequality is simply the division between how much people are paid and how much wealth they accumulate. And the amount of wealth someone accumulates is simply as of what the, is simply a result of what they choose to spend their money on, and the amount of income they make is a result of the market, and you know the demand for whatever position that they're supplying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with with most of what you just said there. Um, regarding his claim that inequality is somehow bad, it seemed as if as if he was saying, look. Inequality was super high in 1928, and it was super high in 2008. And what happened right after that? Oh, we had these big busts. And so he was insinuating or conflating that inequality leads to the business cycle somehow, some way. Yeah, and what was his evidence for that? There wasn't any. He just kept insinuating a correlation. Well, the, the cause for depressions, that can happen in the market, but the market tends to get rid of them uh, after about only a couple of months. The thing that you'll find with the Great Depression, for instance, is that it wasn't caused by inequality. Uh, what it was mainly caused by is the government, the same thing it was caused by in 2008, the government uh, making it so banks were no longer bound to their deposits. Yeah, and we've done an episode on the uh, the crash of 2008, uh, the too-big-to-fail type stuff. I forget which episode that was, Dan, do you remember? Yeah, that was when we did the big short, which was episode 20, so people can find that at actualanarchy.com slash 20, and we had a, a guest on with us who was very familiar with the derivatives market, uh, so I'll post a, a link to that in the show notes page on this one, and this, this episode is 49, like I mentioned earlier, so that can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 49. Right. Well, that's, that's my point, though, is that, you know, there's a lot of other things that you know, 1928 shared with 2008 outside of just, oh, well, incomes were unequal. And incomes being unequal has nothing to do with uh, the state of the economy, as is pretty self-evident. But then there's things like what I just mentioned that are pretty relevant to the economy and, you know, result in um, consequences that go outside of supply and demand. So there are some significant effects. I thought you had more there. <laughs> oh. But uh, let's uh, let's move on to. Uh, it seems as if 
he assumed that the layperson would be familiar with his arguments almost. And that's why he wasn't bringing a whole lot of um, evidence to support his claims. He was just making the conflations and, and overlaying these graphs along this um, suspension bridge graphic. And he just kind of threw out there, 70% of the economy is based on consumer spending. And so you need to have a middle class that's uh, healthy and robust to, to maintain consumer spending because this guy, Chip Hanauer, who's this uh, rich guy because his family makes pillows, he can only spend so much money to get it into the economy. And so it's not that the rich people are necessarily bad or it's bad that they don't spend all their money, but if that money were uh, spread out amongst you know, more people, redistributed, <laughs> then there would be more consumer spending and then the, cons the, the economy would be, would be better and we'd have this virtuous cycle, which he showed where... Uh, as the consumer spending increases, production grows, economy expands, tax revenues increase, the government then invests then in people, in education, and right. creates more production and improves the, uh, the living standards of everyone, and it continues on and on and on, and it's sort of this Keynesian, neo-Keynesian, virtuous <laughs> uh, cycle that, that is the government, is is great and just needs more tax revenue and so it benefits the government to have the economy be good but these evil republicans and he claims this is a bipartisan thing but these evil republicans they want to stagnate the economy and, and have quote-unquote trickle-down theory and that brings the vicious cycle which is the keynesian death spiral right that's the no one's going to spend any money uh, production's going to grind to a halt factories are going to close down, people are going to lose their jobs, tax revenues are going to go go down, so the government programs won't be funded anymore, and people will have less access to education and health care and child care and all of these other positive rights that are somehow, you know, obligated now for people to have. And uh, so that's that's the, the, the great abyss, right, the Keynesian abyss, that you can't have deflation and you can't have uh, anything that's going to, potentially impact consumer spending because that's just going to be this this never-ending spiral of, of depressions that uh, we can never recover from. Yeah, and I want to just say a few things about the rich guy who kept whining about having so much money. Um, on one point, he says that, well, I just can't spend enough money. I've got so much money and I just can't spend enough. And all this other money is just sitting there doing nothing which would make every other dollar worth more and have fewer dollars to compete with for goods and services. But the savings aren't just savings. He invests in other companies. He invests in hedge funds, which invest in companies, which go into – then he invests, like, puts money in banks, which gets reloaned out for entrepreneurs and people wanting home loans. And I mean, money doesn't just really just sit in one spot. Is that what they think money does? Yeah, and, and to your that earlier point, even if it did, it still benefits people, as Walter Block has pointed out. If if that money's not out there in the field competing against your and my money, then goods and services will be cheaper. Right, and exactly that, you know, that's essentially what boils down to the biggest fallacy in their thinking. They think that the market is a static figure. That's the reason why they think uh, income inequality is a bad thing. They literally think that... Uh, one group having more than, you know, another group means that the one group is basically taking from the other group. Right. Yeah, even though he, he I think at some point in the movie says, it's not a zero-sum game, but then he, he treats it like it is. <laughs> so he, 
like uh, Robert sent me a comment earlier, and, and he was like, this guy's a sophist. Like, he, he can speak well and eloquently and on the surface kind of have a convincing rhetoric, but once you scratch below that surface, you'll find that he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. He doesn't understand economics, even though he has an Oxford degree in it and also in philosophy. And it's just bizarre to me that, that somebody so smart and so educated can be so dumb about some fairly basic stuff. I mean, I, it, it feels like he's one of the intellectual class who gloms on to political power. Uh, so he oh, gives them the intellectual oh, yeah. cover in exchange for some influence and prestige. Did you read yeah. that article that he wrote uh, called How Capitalism is Connected to Racism? Uh, afraid I missed that one, but... <laughs> that sounds like a gem. Um, yeah. <laughs> he wrote an article, and I, I'll look it up right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll, put, we'll put a link to it in the show notes page if anyone wants to give themselves... Uh... It's called How Capitalism and Racism Support Each Other. Oh, wait, I'm thinking about a different guy. Never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. I was thinking about Richard Wolff, not Robert Reich. Oh, mm. yeah, Wolff is, is terrible. He's a full-fledged commie, and he's proud of it. Oh, man. Yeah, I've but watched, uh, Reich, it, it doesn't surprise me that he teaches at Berkeley. I mean, there's that, the place is full of snowflakes, and yeah, well, right, you know, um, all kinds of like emotional arguments. Yeah, and Reich's not a full, Reich's not a full-fledged commie, but he does believe in the falling rate of profit, so he's like pretty close. Yeah, at one point he's asked if he's a communist, and he says, "Well, I'm not a member of the Communist Party," which is a dodge. He's absolutely a commie from the things he says. I mean, actions speak louder than words. Yeah, I have a pretty wide net when it comes to socialism these days, and it upsets a lot of people because they claim that I don't understand what socialism is. But I, I counter that they don't understand what socialism is. To me, socialism is any intervention in a voluntary transaction, any agreement between two people that is not an aggression against anyone else is totally fine, totally market, and any intervention in that is a step towards socialism. So when Mises yeah. says, you're all a bunch of socialists, yeah, that, that's where I draw the line. If you intervene... Well, what they, what <laughs> they don't seem to understand, or I, I don't know if they understand it or they're just being willfully oblivious to it, but uh, they don't seem to understand that, you know, the definition is not, you know, necessarily how something functions. So you can explain how something, you know, how socialism functions, which would be essentially what you just said, and then they'll turn around and tell you, oh, you don't know what socialism is because that's not the definition of socialism. I have had yeah, that a lot of these, more times. Le a lot of these lefties just think it's sharing when it's forced re redistribution, so... Right, or whenever you point out the failures, they say, well, that wasn't real socialism. Or if you get into the whole communism thing where they're like, well, there's this division between public property and private property or means of production property or personal property, and it's like, okay, where, where's the line? And you want to know what's funny about that? That distinction between personal and private property came from European feudal code. Yeah, that's oh. where that originates from. That originates uh, when there were monarchs and feudalism. That was their uh, property code. Is some peasants have, pri have personal property, but private property belongs to the king. Was well, okay. there ever a definition? Uh, well, how the the socialists and the communists define it is uh, personal property is something that. Uh, doesn't accumulate capital and pri and uh, means of production is something that does. And the problem with that is that uh, everything 
can be used as a means of production. So there's nothing that can't uh, not produce capital. Exactly. Well said. Yeah, we've made that point many times where if I had a lawnmower, if I'm mowing my own lawn, it's personal property. But if I mow your lawn, it's means of production. So just bizarre. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to point out is that he liked, Reich liked to use a fair number of sob stories. So you would yes, follow yeah. a couple of people around and be like, oh, this person works at Costco and she makes $21 an hour. And most leftists praise Costco for paying above prevailing wages. You know, like they, they claim that Costco is like a good uh, corporation, usually. Uh, yes. Generally contrasting it with like, say, a Walmart or whatnot. So I found it kind of interesting that he used a Costco employee as an example of how struggling the middle class is. Oh, yeah, they flip-flop on that one all the time. Um, they, uh, Costco is a big one that they, flip, that they flip-flop on. Uh, I would point to you one of these, just I would beg you to point at just one of these bigger companies, these big corporations that doesn't have a bunch of laws uh, that they lobbied for which regulate the market in their favor. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I got uh, Rothbard's new book, The Progressive Era, and that's kind of when that whole uh, scenario sort of took root where these companies tried to corner certain segments of the market and cartelize and monopolize, but there would always be pressure for them to kind of cheat on each other, uh, to, to not hold fast to the cartel and undercut each other. And so they realized that even with all these mergers and, and all these other things that they were trying to do, that they couldn't maintain the monopoly rents or the monopoly prices that, that they were striving for. And so they finally figured out that the way to do it was to use government. So they started agitating for legislation, for prohibitions and, and licensure and permits and all of these things to, to be put in place. And granted, they also would have to uh, follow these rules and regulations. But because Something, they were... Well, sometimes... Sometimes they don't apply. They sometimes only apply to you when you hit a certain size or have a certain number of employees or hit a certain metric of some kind. Right, but, but yeah, it's always stacked in their favor, right? It's something that they could right. absorb more easily than a potential upstart competitor. And so it would Correct. be a way of, of preventing uh, additional competitors into the marketplace. Right. Yeah, and, and, and a corporation's almost has to do that. It, you know, it's, it's when it becomes more economically efficient to invest in a lobbyist and invest in a senator and a congressman than it is to invest in development of a new product or to out-compete with somebody. If it's cheaper to use the violent arm of government to do it, then that's what they do, and they almost have to. to well, yeah, they, they'd be at a competitive disadvantage if they didn't partake in that right. because that ring of power is there, right? And so... If, if they don't do that, then they're not going to be uh, able to, to compete in this hampered marketplace. I mean, the, the marketplace that Reich describes as created by the government through regulations is the hampered marketplace. It, it's not the fully competitive free market, which he, of course, claimed it was. And that reminds me of how Marx in his works would conflate uh, two different definitions of capitalism. One, which was more of a cronyist protectionist uh, version that, that definitely does have its, its faults, uh, of which there are many. Um, but then he would synonymously uh, uh, conflate that with a purely voluntary free market style of uh, capitalism and well, the not, thing with Marx not is, define it. Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, the thing with Marx is that he effectively basically created 
the um, lefty straw man of capitalism that we have today, um, he makes absolutely no distinction between uh, free market association and imperialism, and that's one thing. Um, that's how he describes capitalism as a system, and that's what he defines it as, as people who have private uh, ownership seek to gain profit. Well, that's the thing with that, though, is that's not what capitalists advocate for. Um, capitalists advocate for um, non-government association, and so, yeah, uh, technically things like uh, colonialist imperialism and corporatism would fit under a Marxist straw man definition of capitalism. He basically is the one who started all that. So he didn't just conflate two definitions. He he basically, he, he did what we have now with leftists conflating capitalism and government action. That's that's on him. And we've been dealing with it ever since. Yeah, yeah, frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I want to bring it back to the to the two Costco people because there was just a few other interesting tidbits in their little narrative. Um, one was that the uh, the husband between the two, he had worked at Circuit City as a manager, and Circuit City, of course, didn't compete well uh, and and lost out going bankrupt during the 2007-2008 crash. And so this guy lost his job, and he wanted to help preserve other people's jobs. So he would always avoid this, the self-checkouts. And he, he even said, I know this isn't going to totally save their job, but you know, I might just let them hold on a little bit longer so that they can be better prepared for, for the uh, inevitable change that's going to be happening. Which, the funny thing about that is I actually know quite a bit, uh, strangely enough, because I, you know, I actually like Circuit City as a company. Uh, I, I go back way back with them. But uh, I actually know a lot about uh, why they, you know, went bankrupt. It's because um, prior to the year 2000, they sold things like televisions, video games, uh, uh, mostly electronic appliances. But then uh, following 2000 and beginning in the year 2000, they got a new CEO. Uh, I don't know if it was the CEO or the management, so I, I forgot about that right now. But... Uh, Anyway, one way or another, they basically got rid of their main source of income and started solely selling appliances like uh, ovens and microwaves. Mm. So it was more bad management that killed Circuit City. That seems like a bizarre move to try to compete with, like, say, a Sears or something like that. Uh. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Because the thing with Circuit, the thing with Circuit City is, you know, they used to be a Best Buy kind of store where they had, you know, just sort of everything, but then they basically turned it into Best Buy if Best Buy was nothing but that one section that sold washing machines. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Best Buy uh, also go under in the next five years. I agree with that. Yeah. Everything's going digital. Yeah, we're big fans of that. There's very few reasons why you would need to go to a brick-and-mortar store to buy a computer or a video game or a movie or something like that. Maybe if you want to see a TV in person or an appliance, but I think those things yeah. are dwindling. Ordering online is more efficient, so, I mean, I, of course, support that, too. Yeah, it was weird that guy, the Chip Hanauer guy, he even was an early investor in Amazon, and, and he said, oh, it's this great advance. You know, it's so much more efficient. They only have to employ something like 60,000 employees for the footprint, um, but it, it does the equivalent amount of business of what could have been 600,000 or a million employees. And I almost thought that he was arguing that, yeah, it's more efficient, 
but it also harms these, you know, half a million people who no longer need to have a job in this dinosaur, you know, buggy whip industry, right? Yeah, yeah this, well, this movie really glorified old factory jobs. Like, oh man, if we can just get back those manufacturing jobs, won't we just be so happy? They even made one claim that people had lost their factory jobs and now they're all unhappy. Well, that's well, the those people are now able to free up their labor to do other things. Yeah, that's the biggest problem with the Luddist perspective on automation is it assumes that the jobs are just getting lost and they're not going anywhere. Well, right. aside from what you briefly touched upon, that uh, what automation does is it opens up new industries for people to take their labor elsewhere. Uh, the thing that these people don't realize is that uh, precisely what automation is is the result of production becoming easier. So these people complain about um, so many people being in the middle class and so many people being rich producers. Well, if you were to just free the market and let everything automate, you would see more people become producers than laborers. That's exactly what automation is. It's, pr it's production becoming easier and less costly. Right, right. less costly. That's a key important part. Like uh, consumer goods are fall, cheap, getting cheaper and cheaper and higher in quality. And one thing, one of the, the, one of the main reasons that this movie fails for me is that it whines and whines and whines about inequality while kind of ignoring, I mean, they mention it once or twice, but they kind of ignore the living standards, that living standards are just increasing and increasing. And it really doesn't matter, in my view, if one person makes $20,000 a year and then another person makes like $500,000 a year, if both people live like fucking kings. I mean, they, they spend a lot of the time in the movie whining about the lack of education and lack of access to education. Bullshit! I can buy a $50 tablet at Walmart that has all the information in human history on it, and you can educate yourself for free online at any number of locations. Yeah, I've, I've so, learned more about philosophy in, in my last year of being out of high school than I learned in the entire 14, 15 years I was going through the government education system. Right, yeah, that was the whole Bernie thing. He was like, well, we need college to be free, which is an admission of failure for the previous 12 or 13 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and really, these kids are sp just wasting their time, spinning their wheels at these government schools. Uh, you can't whine about education when the cost of information is essentially zero. I'm sorry, you just oh. can't do it. Have you seen what they're doing in some of these uh, taxpayer liberal arts colleges? I saw one report uh, out of California where the teacher is having these students build Legos as an assignment. Sweet. Yeah, I, think I like I Legos. But I think I did that like in kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, that's, so that's uh, what your public education is. So can I point out one, one other hypocritical thing with the Costco couple? I, I keep harping on them. Do it. But, so they're doing a budget together, and they're like, oh, we have like $80 in our bank account between the two of us. And they're doing their budget, and they have like $400 in gas. Yeah, and they're driving around they're, SUVs. They're doing their budget on a MacBook. I mean, you know, they're not the most budget-conscious people. Yeah, their, their cell phone bill is like $200. Uh, it was just ridiculous, you know, like how, how little money they, they save, uh, and they were obviously blowing, and, and yet they were complaining about it as if they're being oppressed. Oh, well, that's why they're so poor. They're not saving any of their money. Yeah. yeah. And they're, 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 they're voluntarily choosing these higher-priced alternatives to, I mean, they, they could sell their car, get a nice little gas saver, or they could trade in their expensive computers for some cheaper models. They could 
go to a cheaper mode of cell phone. I mean, they, they have all kinds of options out there, but they prefer to pay more. I, I, I have a hard time having sympathy for them. And then the, the husband goes to Berkeley. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I have absolutely no sympathy for them. Um, I work uh, a freight job, and it pays around $12, $13 an hour. I'm trying to be as vague as I can to not uh, give away where I work. But, um, yeah, I basically point is I don't uh, make that much uh, income yet. I probably have more in savings than those people combined. I have several thousands of dollars in savings, and that's because I invest it, and I invest it uh, wisely. I don't blow all my money. Right, and that's yeah, there's a whole lot of not a lot of uh, personal responsibility in this movie. Yeah, everyone's playing the victim in this thing. And yeah. he plays to that, you know, and, and he, like I said, he mentions inequality and democracy dozens and dozens of times, and he talks about technology and globalization ravaging the American workers. So he's, he's got this very protectionist bent to him as well, as if because they live on this side of a line, it's more important that they have a job than someone in, in a developing country. When, you know, when, when that move, money moves offshore, uh, and Robert, you were talking about this a moment ago, the hedge funds and, and all the money that this Chip Hanauer guy, he doesn't know where it's going. It's going to productive efforts to to find a, a return by creating value elsewhere, right? It's it's creating factories and, and jobs and opportunities for people the world over. And so why Reich has this uh, democracy protectionist thing like American workers, uh, when when he wants to have less inequality in the world, you would think that he would be all on board with, oh, well, let's just make Americans uh, have lower wages and raise the wages of everyone else around the world, and we can all live poor. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. He, he, he failed to mention that people in the United States are essentially in the top 1% if you count the whole planet. Yeah, even, even the poverty line is like the top 1%. I think uh, Woods had a, a, a number to this a while back. I think it was like 35000 or so dollars is the top 1% globally. Yeah, and that's uh, maybe lower middle class in the United States. Yeah, but, you know, in the United States, even poor people have an iPhone and Internet and a car and air conditioning and a flat screen TV. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty hell of a rough poverty there. Yeah, you know? that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying, though, is 35,000 uh, annual income is the top 1% of the world, yet that's about what you'd get with a lower middle class position. Right, yeah, and then also Reich just totally ignores the plethora of opportunity that exists in the world today, right? Not only is education almost costless, uh, there are universities, hundreds of them, that have courses for free online. There's the Khan Academy, there's, there's other paid options, there's YouTube, there's, you know, you name it, it's, it's there, and there's more things being developed all the time. So to continue to play the victim rather than taking the bull by the horns and, and trying to, to learn a new skill, providing value for others, uh, maybe saving up some of their money uh, so that they can invest in something uh, that, that can make them even more productive, like it sounds like what you're doing. Uh, I just, it, it's, it's like their whole point is to be jealous of others. Yeah, and his own whole solution is violence. It's to take back the government. But he even admits it. In the movie, he admits 
that the rules will benefit the ones that spend the most money, i.e. the biggest corporations. They're the ones that spend the money to you know, get the little breaks and the, write the legislation and buy off the senators. So his, his solution of, well, get everybody invested in their government and whatever, lobby and call your, write your senator, whatever, some kind of bullshit, wouldn't even work. Yeah, and you know, I, there's so many things I want to say, and the worst thing that he said is this, but there's just so many of them. I mean, only one can be worst, right? It's Highlander. There can only be one. But <laughs> uh, all of the things he was complaining about going up in price, because he did admit that technology has, has lowered consumer prices for many goods and services, but all the things he's complaining about, education, healthcare, housing prices, those are all highly intervened by the government. Right. Yes. And they were, <laughs> they're highly regulated. And that's what I was what I was thinking when he got to that part where he started talking about contacting your senators and your democracy. I'm just thinking, and he talks about democracy. I'm just thinking, so wait, you're you're thinking it's bad for this wealthy elite to rule over people um, in this whatever. But you think it's okay when they do it through the government, which is nothing more than a corporation, much like the ones run by this wealthy elite. Right, with the monopoly on violence. And that was another thing that angered me is when he said that people believe the lie that government's bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was talking to I, me I right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he kept uh, saying that uh, the corporations are profit-seeking and – their goal is to drive down costs as much as possible, and labor needs a say. So he's totally ignoring that corporations and businesses are competing for labor, right? So they're going to, by default, have to entice people to come work for them over the other guy. So this whole iron law of wages bullshit, this Malthusian, you know, like everyone's going to die, is, uh, is, is not true. It, it totally yeah. ignores supply and demand, just like he totally ignores the effects of uh, the Fed and uh, increases in, in currency and inflation and that the government is responsible for most of the cost increases and the things that he's complaining about. Yeah, it's just complete, absolute nonsense. And that's something that I've noticed with a lot of people um, on the left when it comes to discussing labor is they don't treat it like it's a market. Like they... I don't know what they think it is, but, you know, they act almost as if it's not a competing industry. But it's about people over profits, esoteric entity. Don't you know? Have you no feels? Reels over feels. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, he, like I said earlier, he talks out of both sides of his mouth. He says that we, the people are the government, and, and we determine what the rules are, but then the corporations have all the power and the political influence and the money. Well, which is it? He doesn't know. None of them know. Yeah, so what else do we got for this movie? Uh, Robert, you got any, any notes? I'm kind of going through some of the notes that I had sent to you. Uh, you want to take yeah, this in any I, particular direction? Well, the exact um, quote when you were talking earlier about corporations are profitable because they keep wages down. And then you were mentioning that, you know, how do you do that in a competitive labor market? You can't. Um, yeah, he was talking about, like, the, labor, the, the rise of the unions, and he's, like, a big union guy, and then he was also for the minimum wage. Um, and then at the very end of the movie, I'm jumping around a bit here, but then he admits, like, his whole life has been a total failure, <laughs> but yet he hasn't learned a thing. He's still saying the same bullshit 30 years later. I just want to slap the guy. 
Oh, yeah. Yep. I wrote, yeah, he's a fucking quitter because he, uh, he walked away from the Clinton administration because uh, he wasn't getting his way or something. But, I mean, seriously, if a guy got his way, it would be so much worse. Yeah, if, if he got his way, man, we'd be looking something like Greece right now. And I'm now that I realized that article that I was thinking about was written by Richard Wolff, um, I might have been thinking about Richard Wolff when I said Yanis Varoufakis was a student of his. I'm going to look it up real quick. Okay. Well, let's oh. get to the to the Warren Buffett thing real quick because, and and this is uh, another thing Reich does. He he makes a statement that's kind of true, but then comes up with bullshit sugar-coated reasons on why it's bad. So he he even says, "Oh, no one wants to pay taxes." <laughs> like right on, man. But then he he says, "But it's necessary to invest in people, and the government needs to to pool all of our resources together to accomplish things oh, that couldn't be done by off. individuals." Yes, yeah, total Keynesian. And then he brought on Buffett, who of course spun his yarn about you know he only pays something like seventeen percent of his uh, income, but everyone else in his office, including his secretary, pays somewhere north of like thirty five percent. And you said, oh, how unfair is this? Well, how unfair is it that, that somebody has a claim on your labor, on your capital, on the fruits of your labor before you do, and they have the sole decision-making power in the, whatever that amount is? Yeah, but they make money. They make money, so uh, you can do anything to them. It's okay because they make money, and uh, you don't have a lot of money, so that's fine. Right, right. Right, yeah, it's, pun- it's, money. it's literally punishing success. And, and my comment regarding uh, Buffett is, well, you've got a check. You know how finance works. Write the government a check if you think you're not paying enough in taxes. Yeah, this guy, this Robert Wright guy, um, there's a, like a montage kind of thing towards the end. I don't know exactly at what point. But from time to time throughout the movie, he pulls up a bunch of like daily show clips. And there's one, I think maybe he was talking to like Jay Leno or somebody, and he stands up. And he goes, do I look like a big government? Ha ha, ha, ha ha, you're a short man, and so therefore you're not big government, and yet you are big government. Is this the kind of argument that wins over people on the left? Wait, is that something that he actually said in the documentary? You're a short guy, yeah. so you can't be in the go- big government? He, he stood up on, he was being interviewed by Jay Leno, and he stood up showing, you know, look at how short I am. Didn't say it, but he goes, do I look like big government? <laughs> You got to send me a, a link to that clip. There's no way that's real. Yeah, it's real. Yeah, you yeah. would think it wouldn't be. Yeah, it's it's his one-liner. He 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 makes fun of his his shortness to like warm up the audience, right? And that honestly, is, it's probably his best that is argument. Not an argument. That is levels of not an argument I never thought were possible before. Yeah, but that's good enough for the left, apparently. I don't know. I I thought it was insulting. Yeah, you know, I remember <laughs> watching The Daily Show way back when. Uh, when we were working in, in the in the agricultural fields, Robert, and yeah. we'd get back and watch The Daily Show, and I, I found it entertaining and compelling and a bit smug, but, you know, they, they I was a lefty back then, or at least I thought I was, and so it, it seemed smart, and uh, it seemed like the, the conservatives and, and the free market types were Neanderthals. And yeah. I, well, now they got Trevor Noah, and I think even the people who watch him um, think that they're stupid. Not not the conservatives, but themselves. They watch Trevor Noah sitting there thinking, man, I am throwing my life away. <laughs> because there's just, there's nothing funny, intellectual, or anything good that can be derived out of that guy's opinions. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I tried watching a few episodes of him, and I was bored, and I never laughed once, and I was just yeah, insulted the entire time. And I, 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 I'm surprised he's still on, honestly. Yeah, you know who was good was uh, that first guy, um, Craig Kilborn. He was pretty, pretty funny. Yeah, I, I, I vaguely recall him being funny, but it was so long ago. Yeah, and John Stewart had his moments until I, you know, sort of woke up. Right, I, I kind of red pilled a little bit. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking of, all right. So Robert Reich, he says when he's complaining about how he's failed, he says, you know, I'm still holding on to the same positions for 30 years, and everyone else has gone to the right. The the media, politics, it's a right. conservative takeover, and libertarian <laughs> free market types are taking over. I wish you he was right about that, if, but he's well, not. Like now, because everyone wants free market policies, but for the last 30 years up until now, that is that cannot be farther from the truth. Just look at the things that, you know, just look at the laws, look at the increase in regulations. Uh, the economic view in the U.S. has been protectionist, uh, heavily regulated throughout the last 30, 40 years. Yeah, that was his his big complaint. He said that because of deregulation, that's what allowed inequality to happen. Yeah, I, I got what, to that part. And he oh, said man. that in the 1970s, there was like a mass deregulation. No, there absolutely was not. You had, um, I think it was, yeah, it was Carter in office at that time. Uh, Nixon a little bit in the beginning, but they passed a bunch of these big laws. That, that was um, when the market began to experience... Uh, the effects of Medicare and Medicaid signed into law by Johnson. Uh, that's oh, there's a lot of things Carter did, a lot of regulations, and then you got Reagan, who everybody says that Reagan deregulated the market. He absolutely did not. He increased taxes. He increased regulation. He said that he was going to decrease it, but he didn't. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the one thing the movie pointed to was Reagan's busting of the strike, the airline strike. And then he made it seem as if Reagan had deregulated everything, which caused the shit to go bad. Right, and unleashed the free market and all the horrors. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. though he doesn't realize, like that seems to imply that uh, unions are not a function of the free market. Uh, government unions, the ones that are government-backed, are not. But the idea of boycotting, that's actually an important part of free, of the free market that helps the market regulate itself right yeah well any union is is a government entity right it's it's backed by government laws well as it functions right now yeah but uh it's it would be possible um, for just a group of workers to get together and form a union in a laissez-faire free market Sure, absolutely. Right, yeah, so long as they weren't uh, threatening violence or using violence, but they could right, all say, hey, if, if you don't uh, you know, do X, Y, and Z, we're all at the same time going to leave, right? We're go That's we're what I mean, if they're just boycotting, yeah. if they're just right. going to leave. Uh, right. What they're doing now is absolutely not that. Uh, what they're doing now is essentially just another tax on your income. Since they, In a lot of places, uh, there's only one union for this particular job, and um, the government forces you to join it, so they have absolutely no incentive to do anything, even if the jobs that they were working, the workers were working at, was treating them poorly. Um, so yeah, it's a mess, yep. like how they have it now. Yeah, and then his claim of deregulation, and, and we talked about this on our episode 20 that Robert had talked about earlier, but it was sort of like budget cuts, where it was a slowdown in the amount of increase. It was a slowdown in the rate of increase, and the finance industry, 
financial industry is either the top or the or the second highest most regulated industry uh, out of all of them. And so to claim that there was this evil free market takeover of finance and the deregulation was what caused all these problems could not be further from the truth. But it's it's the line that's out there. Uh, even my uh, my stepdad used that line. He's like, oh, well, how'd that deregulation work out for everyone? That's what brought the 2008 crisis. <laughs> no, no, it did not. <laughs> Oh, man. So if anyone wants to hear more about that, and in, including uh, a reading of the email that he sent me a couple of years ago, uh, that's in our episode 20. Yeah, and this guy, you know, he plays to the fears of people. Like at one point, he looks into the camera and he's like, who is taking care of the American worker? And my answer was, well, how about the American workers taking care of themselves? How about a little bit of uh, accountability, you know, self-responsibility like adults, you know? But this guy is wanting to sell this you know, nanny state, I will take care of you. We will just have this violent organization that's really just robbing you, but we'll lip service like we're taking care of you. I don't know. This guy, he just pissed me off the entire time he was talking. And he seemed like he wasn't a terrible, evil human being. He, he, he seemed like a true believer. But the fact that he's like 60 years old and he hasn't learned a damn thing in 30 years really made me mad. And I know he's giving left cover or like cover to authority, authoritarians and stuff like that. And that's yeah, why he's fact, got a job. And that's why people read his books. The fact that I confused him for Richard Wolf, it's not that I didn't know who the two of them were. I just, I, I couldn't distinguish the two of them. <laughs> uh, that, that, I mean, that just really goes to show uh, the level of sophistry we're dealing with, honestly. Yeah, you know, he does give those like little quirky... Um, presentations on YouTube now where he's like writing on a like a, a white paper tablet uh, and, and doing these little things and he's talking about how uh, education needs to be free or right. child care and health care. Right. Oh, and okay. and uh, it, it's all emotional, we'll take care of you buzzwords, but he totally ignores the fact that where does that money come from? How do you get it? Uh, how is it possible that you can create additional value out of extracting money from people by force and then taking a huge cut of it to f run the operation, the bureaucratic uh, nonsense, and, and, yeah. and, and then dole out a little bit of it to people. It's just completely uh, delusional. They've, it's not that they are, don't, it's not that, you know, they think that there's an answer for that. It's that they simply don't think about that to the, to a lot of these people. You know, I, I, honestly, I speak with people on the left quite a bit. I hear their opinions. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, but anyway, um, one of the things that they say, it's, it's, they honestly think that, um, it's just given to them for free by the government. And I think yeah. a good example of this, you know, I'm not a listener of the Michael Savage show, but, and this is relevant, believe me, but my dad is, and, um, I was watching like videos from the show on the internet and some lady called up, and she was talking about how, you know, we need to give um, universal basic income or something. She was saying a lot of dumb stuff, like, believed in that, believed in universal health care. And Michael Savage asked the lady, well, where do you, uh, where do you think the government's going to get the money to pay for all that? And then the lady replied with, I don't know where Obama keeps his stash. Dead serious. That's, <laughs> wow. that's what she replied with, wow. word for word. Well, I mean, yeah, no matter 
how they funded it, it's it's still going to hurt people, right? They're either going to extract it forcefully or they're going to borrow it from from banks and then repay it with future theft or they're going to inflate the currency, which is theft in general f from everyone, right? Right. And to clarify, I'm sure most people on the left are aware of the fact that uh, the government doesn't just have a stash of money that it magically produces, but they sure don't seem to think about, you know, where it actually comes from and the economic ramifications of it. Well, and let's look at this guy's worldview. He thinks that money that's in banks is just sitting there going to waste, as if, like, moths are eating it or something. And that it's not actually outworking and being loaned out and creating economic opportunities. Right, Scrooge McDuck is swimming in it, and that's it. Right. That's, that's his worldview. And that, and that so you, it's just sitting there, so why not steal it? He, he kept talking about how, like, a 70% tax rate on the rich was, like, the greatest thing in the world. So let's just take all this money that's, because they can only spend, you know, you can only buy so many pairs of Levi jeans or whatever he was talking about. So let's steal that money and then give it to the government who then redistributes it out to the middle class and such like that. Even if, in their view, this is like a moral thing, that theft is moral or whatever, this is the social contract or some other bullshit that they come up with. Why don't they ever point out the fact that government is like the biggest waster of money ever? For every dollar that they take, they give out, like, what is, I don't even know the number, but it's got to be in, like, 15, 20 cents, maybe. I don't even know what it is, but it's horrific. I mean, they are a monopoly. They have no, yeah. they have um, no reason to be more efficient. Yeah, that's one of the lies that they like to point out a lot was, oh, well, back when the taxes were 70, 80, 90 percent, the 50, whatever the figure they'll cite, they say, well, that's that's when everything was good. Uh, but what they're talking, and they generally talk about that when it comes to income tax. Yet that's just a flat-out lie. Uh, tax the tax rate on income was not 90%. That was the GDP income of taxes from the government. That's so including uh, all of the other taxes. But uh, they use that as an art. They claim that that's income tax, and that's just absolutely false. Yeah, one thing that keeps getting mentioned in this movie is fairness or they have to pay their fair share and i just want to point out that the the main the, the pillow guy the pillow biter guy he <laughs> makes like between 10 and 30 million dollars a year and he pays something like i forget what it was but it was like 20 to 30 percent tax or something like that or maybe it was 10 to 15 percent tax or whatever it was that's still millions of dollars that's more than any middle-class person is paying in tax. So what exactly is their fair share, according to these lefties? Is, is there ever going to get a definition of what fair no. is? No. They want, uh, basically, according Always to more. them, if you look <laughs> at um, their tax plans, effectively, their definition of fair share is to uh, put the people who are at the bottom to be in the top 1% and take the people who are there legitimately down. So yeah, punish, punishing success. Punish yep, success. Yeah. Incentivize love, laziness and punish productivity. That's what you do. That's how you destroy well, the economy. That's what they want, and that's just an absolutely terrible idea. That's how you get a stagnated economy because that's just going to completely kill all incentives. Yep. You're destroying the right, and you're making the wrong incentives. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely a moral hazard. Uh, so what else do we want to pick on with this with this movie? Is there anything that he says that's correct that anyone's noticed? Uh, I can't think of one except for uh, 
some small notes that are not really relevant to his argument, such as him saying that uh, rich people are not just all evil. All right, yeah. He, he does admit that right. rich people yeah. are not all evil. <laughs> That's to make him sound more reasonable and bipartisan, right? Right. Uh, I, I, I noticed towards the end when he did his whole failure thing and he talked about the condition that he has that makes him so short and how he was picked on by bullies when he was a kid and oh, he that made, me off. made friends with, yes, with go, bigger Daniel. kids to protect him. And then uh, one of his protectors was getting people registered to vote in, in, in the South and, and they got murdered. And so he wanted to get into government to provide service for others and protect the victims and help people. And it's just, it's crazy to me that guy will take a position with the biggest bully around to bully people, but then claim he's helping people. Yeah, I, I didn't actually make it to that part, but it sounds like to me he's drawing a comparison between people, bigger people who'd protect him in the government. That is absolutely not what the government does. The, uh, the government functions like a big person who comes up to you, beats you up, steals whatever they have on whatever you have on you, and then uh, maybe if they feel like it, every once in a while they'll help you with something you didn't even ask them to help you with. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we're here, we're from the government. We're here to help. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So then they act like then they, then they act like tax breaks are helping you or something like that. It's really disgusting. Right, now which it is. It's less theft, but it's you're just then there's the ones who say, Yeah, then there's the ones who say that uh, people wanting tax breaks is a scam. Like, who the fuck are you? It's like you. It's like they think that 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 your money belongs to the government to begin with. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or they say a tax hike costs the government money. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they go after people for like hiding their money in tax shelters and offshore and stuff like that and treating them like they're criminals. Like, yeah, that's money that was theirs, like their lost revenue. It's like, fuck you. So you made these pe poor people jump through these hoops to try and protect their own money. You're the fucking assholes here. Yeah, indeed. So the other part, right after he did, did his whole failure thing, then he had to you know, leave the uh, end of the movie with optimism, where he's talking to the class, and he's like, I think that some of you in this very room are going to be able to go out and change your communities and your, your country and potentially even the world. And think of all the social progress that's been made. Now we have social security, and women have the right to vote, and civil rights, and blah, blah, blah. Like, in every single thing he listed, I'm like, all right, well, that's actually a bad thing. Oh, that's actually a terrible thing. Oh, that's also a bad thing. It sounds like it gets really sappy and emotional towards the end. Like, he just gives up on trying to make his point, so he just says, be be sad and don't think about it. Right, and then and then get involved uh, politically, you know, agitate, protest. Uh, like, that actually does anything. I mean, the government, you know, they're initiating aggression against you. Um, like, protesting actually does anything. I mean, they're yeah. doing it already. What makes you think that telling them not to is going to stop them? Yeah, yeah, as if they don't realize they're doing horrible things. Like, oh, oh, I didn't know I was doing what was bad. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. Right, and, yeah. and Robert and I have made this point many, many times, but the whole fact that you even have the luxury to protest means that all of your other needs have been met and satisfied by capitalism, by the free market. You have the luxury to go out on the streets wearing a pussy hat, making up a sign, smashing some Starbucks windows because you don't have to go out and hunter gatherer your shit and, you know, get your meal that day. 
Yep. And your envy from people who are doing it better than you does not justify stealing from them. All right. Well, I think that we've been beating this up for, for about an hour now. Um, we could go longer if you guys want, or we could just do our <laughs> ratings and summary. What do you think? Uh, well, I, I thought we were going to watch it on podcast here. That's why I didn't watch the full thing, but I got a gist of the rest of it from your guys' description. Um, oh, we're, overall, we're saving you from the pain. Trust me. Just very um, extremely pseudo-intellectual. Uh, his points were not well made at all. The ones that uh, he did make, it just he didn't think them through or he's being deliberately dishonest, and I'm leading towards the ladder of those two because of how emotional and soppy he gets at the end. Uh, and just the fact that he had to do that. And I just I was watching this part, this monologue, even when he's not trying to make his points, when he's trying to be entertaining and thought-provoking, the stuff he says is just extremely like awkward and cringy. Like at the beginning, where he says, it's just me and my Mini Cooper. We, I'm, the Mini Cooper's small, and that like, rep- represents me, and we're against the world. I just, yeah, it's... Uh, I'd say... Two out of ten because the presentation was movie quality, but uh, actually I yeah. think I go with one point five out of ten. If that's possible because uh, <laughs> yeah, there's no intellect. There's stale brain synopsis went into making this. Yeah, it's like he definitely played down to the lowest common denominator in this, and and just played to the fields, right? Uh, and not a whole lot of intellectual fervor to it and and I think his whole methodology is uh, is nonsensical to begin with and and just so you're you're aware our, our rating system is uh, black and gold for good and black and red for bad so a one and a half out of ten I, I'm, I'm gonna think that's a pretty red one right black and red yeah it is <laughs> so Robert how about your uh, your summary review and, and rating here sir well this guy just just made me angry the whole time I mean he's an old man kind of like a Bernie Sanders type that has lived his entire life without learning a damn thing um, really embarrassing if I were him, honestly. And I, and I understand why he gets people to listen to him and whatever. He, he makes you feel like a victim, and therefore, you know, it's not your fault, your situation in life. It's not because you didn't go out and apply yourself and work harder. It's because the rich people are screwing you over or something like that. They're not offering you jobs. They're, they're screwing you over. They're stealing from you, not the government. The government is good. Um, I like the motion graphics. I thought the motion graphics were kind of nice. That's, you know, little flash animations. I mean, good, good, good job or whatever those were. Other than that, the content was absolute dog shit, and I wouldn't recommend anybody watching it unless they knew better already or if you were going to analyze it, like in an economics class for how terrible it is, something like that. Um, yeah. yeah so to, to jump off on that point, do you think that somebody who's a layperson would watch this and be able to tell how much of it's bullshit versus not, or do you think that they'd find this compelling? I think they would find it far more compelling. I think that he kind of sounds a little bit smart. Hopefully they understand argumentation, and then they would realize that a whole lot of his arguments are just correlation. Like, here's a chart, and look at this chart, and they both match up. There must be causation there. Um, but there's, he's so telling people what they want to hear you know, people want to be, you know, they want to blame their failures in life on other people. So here comes a guy who kind of sounds smart. He's got all the credentials. He's been working with these higher-ups and whatevers, and people listen to them, and he teaches. He made a big deal out of the fact that he teaches. 
and then he's you know teaching his students and shepherding their minds and ugh, it's gross. Um, so yeah, I I think absolutely he he appeals to that lefty mindset, and it's it's, it's real sad. But I think I think it was interesting to do this movie for this podcast. Uh, maybe we should do more stuff like this. Maybe not more of his stuff. Maybe when he does the saving capitalism thing, maybe if he does a different argument, but it'll probably be the same takedown. From Can I come back on when you guys do that movie? Yeah, if you want to check it out, and if it is different enough from this dumpster fire, then yeah, maybe if it's worthwhile. I don't right. mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If if it's got uh, enough of a different argument that warrants uh, tearing it apart. I mean, obviously, it will have terrible arguments, but if it's a rehash of this one, essentially, then uh, we'll just refer to this one. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, we would, we would be definitely open to uh, having you back or, or doing something on your platforms if, oh, if you're I, interested in that. Yeah, that'd be nice, uh, doing a stream on my channel or whatever. Um, I talk about economics a lot, but I like to also get into the more practical aspects of anarchism as well. So great. Yeah, right up our alley, man. So, uh, Robert, I'm going to uh, assume that your rating is going to also be a black and red, right? Yes. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I've spent, you know, the last hour or so beating this up with you guys. So I think everyone else is going to know that I'm, I'm super black and red on this thing as well. And the whole time, I, I don't want to get to ad hom on this, but I kept thinking, like, when did Willow get a, an economics degree? And he's, he's got some pretty decent rhetoric, uh, and he's the right height. So, you know, he's good with his mouth, and he's at the right height. So I'll just leave that to everyone's imagination. But, yeah, super black and red for me. Not a big fan of this guy's uh, way of thinking and his, his lack of uh, coherent methodology. I, I definitely think that he was pandering to people who uh, are not educated in this arena. And as Robert was saying, telling them what they want to hear. Like, oh, it's not your fault. It's somebody else. Uh, we can band together if you support the government and, and we'll stand up to the bullies together and blah, 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 you know. Yeah, but like, he, he kept playing on, a, you know, people's sense of sympathy that he was so short and that really angered me. Like, he's an underdog in this. Like, he's not advocating for violence and it just, everything about him pissed me off. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. You're trying to talk about why income inequality is relevant to the economy, and instead you get a several-minute sob story, I'm assuming, about uh, how you're so short and got bullied as a kid. Uh, if anyone who's trying to talk about economics or any sort of political position starts getting into uh, emotional stories about themselves, uh, it doesn't even matter what they're saying uh, right there that's an indication that uh, they're trying to manipulate you. Well said. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Robert and I do sometimes try to venture into that arena to get a little bit emotional because, I mean, a lot of these things do really piss us off and they do affect us personally. And a lot of people who aren't uh, already ANCAPs or super savvy with this stuff, they do respond to emotion and emotional arguments. And so we, we try to use it judiciously. Uh, one of the things that, that this kind of plays off of is culture. And that's, that's why we talk about movies on our show is, is because we believe that culture plays a big part in determining uh, how society or the direction it's going and even uh, politically. And so many movies are very left-leaning as it is. Uh, so we like to, to come at it from a, a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective to perhaps give people a new way to look at things, uh, something yeah. that they may have already seen before and may be familiar with. So it's a way of sliding yeah, in those concepts. 
uh, what I've seen a if you want to get to people, what you have to do is you have to make them question their own positions. Uh, there was a study done in 2004 um, about uh, political partisanship where a bunch of different people were taken into a room of a bunch of different political beliefs and they were shown political opinions they disagree with and then they were shown opinions they did agree with uh, when they were shown uh, opinions that they agreed with uh, their brain registered a hit of adrenaline to their vitral striatum which I don't know if you understand uh, biology on that on that technical of the terms I'm not meaning to talk down to anybody but uh, essentially that's the same thing that happens to your body when you take a shot of heroin so people are literally addicted to being partisan oh, that's interesting Feels good so to be right. what you have to do is you have to make them question their own beliefs and you have to make them become partisan to a different belief system so culture is not the right approach because what's going to happen if they approach an opinion that they don't agree with is exactly what happens when they hear an opinion they didn't agree with in this study which is uh, every time they register hearing a opinion they don't agree with with a negative emotional reaction similar to what your brain experiences if you get a paper cut or whatever so that's not how you're going to get people but uh, it's a decent approach so what would you recommend? Uh, well, for example, I think a decent approach at the taxation argument would be uh, instead of saying, explaining how they're wrong, try to make them question why they believe what they believe. For instance, say, well, why is it uh, that you have to get these services through the government? Why can't you afford it yourself? Why can't you go out and go get it yourself? You have to make them question themselves in order to do this, which is something you'll see a lot in my videos, by the way. That's strategic. So is that sort of um, similar to putting the burden of proof on them where, where it actually does belong because they're the ones advocating for violence, right? <laughs> uh, it's similar, but not quite. They don't have to really uh, make a claim. You can make your argument, but the point of your argument, don't present the point of your argument like you're wrong because this, say, with this being said, why is it that, and then whatever uh, point you're making, or why is it that uh, they believe what they believe despite uh, the presented facts you present being the case? All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll take that into into our memory banks and and try to craft our message perhaps a little differently. But why don't we wind this show down? Uh, Esoteric Entity, you've been an excellent guest, and we really do appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast. Uh, this has been episode 49 on Robert Reich's Inequality for All. And why don't you just remind our audience where they can find your work and uh, how to reach out to you on Twitter or watch your videos. Uh, yeah, look up Esoteric Entity on YouTube. Uh, I go under the same name on pretty much every platform. Uh, on Twitter, my name is, uh, my, my screen name is Daddy Esoteric with a black flag next to it, but my handle is Esoteric Entity with no spaces and a second Y at the end. Those are the main platforms that I use. All right, awesome. 
Well, hey, thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast. If you like the work that we do here, you can support us at our Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash readrothbard or find other ways to support us, including our Liberty Classroom link, Amazon links, or readit4.me links at actualanarchy.com slash tipjar. And uh, Robert, any uh, final words for the audience before we say goodnight to everyone? Yeah, just thanks for listening. Uh, this was an interesting episode. If you want us to do more movies like this, I'd like to hear about it. Get in touch with us at the website, on email, Twitter. All that kind of stuff, because we normally do, you know, more pop culture movies. We don't necessarily do these kind of economic, sophist-type crap movies, but we could do more like this if you enjoy this one, so let us know. All right, well, thanks again, everyone, and uh, have a good night. Peace out. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do